0: launch and optimize web pages fast that means you can set ambitious marketing goals and your site can rise to that challenge learn why teams like dropbox ideo and orange theory all trust webflow to achieve their most ambitious goals today at webflow.com want to drive greater success in social commerce with deloitte's latest creator economy research you can after surveying over 500 creators and 500 brands Our insights are helping CMOs and marketing teams harness the power of content creators. And not only that, but how to do it well. See for yourself by visiting cmo.deloitte.com today. What's the first brand, Andy, that you remember making an impact on you?
1: God, probably the first brand that I I think of, and I tell this story uh, sometimes just in terms of entrepreneurship, is probably the brand Ty, Beanie Babies. Um, Because for me as uh, like a early teen, 12, 13 years old, I saw the power of brand and the power of scarcity with being able to sell something that was so scarce from a resource perspective for a substantial premium. And so um, selling the the Thai Beanie Baby to the cart in the mall for $250, that was like my aha moment, like, oh my God, I can sell stuff on eBay. That got me really excited about branding and marketing.
0: Hi, I'm Jim Stengel, and I help major brands find their purpose and activate it, and the profits follow. For seven years, I was the global marketing officer for Procter & Gamble, where I oversaw the marketing of hundreds of brands. You may not know it, but the CMOs, the chief marketing officers of all of your favorite brands, are trying to connect you with your favorite products and services through purpose. And on this show, I delve into how they do it. My guest today on the CMO Podcast is Andy Rebhunt the chief marketing officer of El Pollo Loco, translates to the crazy chicken. El Pollo Loco traces its origin to Mexico in the 1970s. It is now nearly a billion-dollar brand in the U.S., with about 500 owned and franchised restaurants in six western states. They are most famous for their citrus-marinated fire-grilled chicken, which I wish I had right now. This is Andy's first CMO role. He has been in the big job for about a year. He was promoted in place from his previous role at Apoyo Loco as VP of Digital Marketing. Before this, Andy worked six years at McDonald's and at the Ford Motor Company for five years. Raised in Southern California, where he was a high school tennis star, Andy went to college at the frigid, cold University of Wisconsin and later earned his executive MBA from Northwestern Kellogg. Here's my conversation with a guy who likes to take his team to Disneyland, Andy Rebhan. Andy, welcome to the CMO Podcast. You know, you are the third tennis player I have interviewed on the show. I interviewed Maria Sharapova and her agent, Max Eisenbud, who actually played four years at Purdue. I know you're a, a Big Ten guy as well. So tell us to start this great conversation where your love of tennis began.
1: Love of tennis began from my dad. Uh, my dad was a big tennis player growing up, and he kind of started my life with a racket in my hand. And eventually at, at some point in my life, I had to choose a sport. It was between uh, soccer, baseball and tennis. And I ended up going with tennis. And I'm, I'm so passionate about the sport. And it's something that I know I can play until very late in my life. So it's really important to me. So you're still
0: playing. Do you play competitively?
1: I don't play as much competitively anymore. It's one of those things where I know I always say, you know what? I need to get back on the court more often, but I'm definitely going to try and make that part of my 2023 ambitions.
0: Where I play, I've discovered cardio tennis, and that's almost all I do. It's, I love uh, that. It, it's like 75 minutes of just hitting balls with different people, moving around the courts. It's so much fun. It's almost meditative.
1: That's great. I love that. Get to get check both boxes, right?
0: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So you also seem to really love travel. And again, where did this passion begin?
1: I think a lot with my parents, we were very fortunate as I was growing up um, to visit a lot of different countries around the world. Um, I've been to 32 so far. Wow. And so I really, really want to continue that. It's just one of those things when you go to a new place, you can experience the culture, you can experience the food, you can just open your eyes and just see this whole different world in front of you. And it's something that I feel like can teach you so much about Just the human being. It's just, it's so beautiful.
0: There are a lot of themes from these shows that I do every week. One is curiosity, you know, one certainly is creativity, and one is travel. It's just interesting that a lot of CMOs just have the bug for travel. And I guess it's related to curiosity and creativity. What do you think?
1: I think a lot of it is related to curiosity and creativity. I think sometimes it allows us to kind of get out of the box that sometimes we are forced Mm -hmm. to be in in our day to day lives. And when you go to a place like, uh, you know, Shanghai, China, you go to a place like uh, Madrid, Spain, you go to a place like Buenos Aires, Argentina, it can give you that opportunity to just see this whole different type of world in front of you. And it really allows you to be your best creative self. And to me, that is just you, you can't put a price on that.
0: You were active before COVID and you you're starting to get active again from what I see. So what's been your best trip of the last five years and what trip you are the most looking forward to?
1: Oof. Best trip in the last five years, I'd probably say would have been uh, Tel Aviv, Israel. Mm. Um, That was just an incredible journey for me personally. Um, I went there for six weeks the summer of 2019 and it was just magical. And it also really allowed me to kind of test some of my values and, uh, ultimately it led me to making a decision to move back to my home state of California and start the new, um, kind of the new page of my career at El Pollo Loco. So that was like a really impactful trip for me. I, that's where I read a book called designing your life. And it really helped me, uh, dig deep into what I was looking for in kind of the next phase of career and life. And, uh, what am I looking forward to? There are so many different places on my list of places I want to visit, but I really want to go to South Africa. I really want to go to New Zealand Um, I've been to London before, but I believe in uh, June of this upcoming year, I want to go to Wimbledon. That's my Mm, last Grand Slam. I've been there. It's great. Yeah, that's that's on my list. So uh, there's a few really uh, big places that I think I want to try to hit in 2023, 2024.
0: While we're still on travel, what happened in Tel Aviv reading that book that was such a catalyst for you?
1: Um, For me, it was, I think, just really shutting down work. I'd gone through a period of like, call it 10 or 11 years where I was Typical corporate America where you, you work, 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 you put in 70, 80 hour weeks, uh, very rarely have the opportunity to completely check out and take a vacation. And uh, for me, it was just really shutting down and shutting off technology, not looking on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook every single day. Um, it was really just enjoying the state of being in the environment that I was in. Mm-hmm. And it really just allowed me to have a lot of reflection uh, sometimes it's just really hard to be able to completely turn it off just the way some of us are wired. We always need to have something to do. And it was the first time that I really wanted to completely shut down and take a break. And it was it was magical.
0: Do you have any rituals now to be sure that you don't get sort of stuck on that uh, on, on that yeah. crazy wheel and yeah. build in time for reflection, for insight, for thinking? How do you, how do, you do that now?
1: I, I try to journal. I really, uh, one of the things that I a practice that I learned in grad school was just kind of taking 15 minutes every night and just writing down some of the thoughts like, what did I do really well today? Where did I have an opportunity? What can I do better tomorrow? And it just gives you that opportunity to just really put all your thoughts on paper and then reflect as you kind of try to become the best, the best version of yourself every day. So you do have the opportunity to figure out where in that you know, 168 hour week, you can have that time for reflection and just make sure that you take care of yourself.
0: As you reflect on this year, we're talking about reflection and we're recording this sort of toward the end of the year. What are you most happy about, most proud of in this year one as CMO? And on the counter side of that, what has not gone as well as you would have hoped?
1: Yeah, I think probably most proud of, I'd say, is the team. Um, I think the team is just a huge reflection of the way we show up in the world. And um, one of the things I'm most proud of is the fact that we were able to sustain the entire team, especially during the great resignation. Um, I didn't have one team member leave. Um, And to me, it's just a function of the great senior leadership team that I've been able to work with uh, at El Pollo Loco, as well as my leadership team on the marketing front. Um, They are true, true, incredible human beings and they really try to grow and develop the talent that we have in the organization. And to me, um, a brand is only as good as its weakest link and every single person matters. And I hope that my team feels like they all matter. Um, In terms of things that I would say didn't go as planned my first year, I think when you come into a new role, um, there's obviously so many things that you want to accomplish as a leader. Uh, you want to make sure that, you know, you transition well. You want to make sure that, you know, all the departments are kind of marching to the same beat of the same drum. Um, and I would just say that the the best thing that I, I learned very quickly, and a lot of it was result of, of the CEO transition and the CEO was announced um, shortly after I was announced, um, was just doing fewer things better. Um, I think that was kind of the, the mantra of 2022 is how do we focus and make sure that, we you know try to hit doubles, triples, home runs versus just hitting a bunch of singles, and to me, I think that was just a really big learning thing for me because I kind of used to come from the school of oh my god, you've got to do a hundred things well, and just being able to simplify and do better was really, really impactful. And so I'm really grateful that I have a leader that really allows and helps me to prioritize what the big um, organizational priorities are.
0: How did you make that shift as a leader? I mean, I hear from so many CMOs that. They want to be better at priorities, but it's hard and many don't succeed. So Mm -hmm. what have you done to inculcate in your team that, hey, we don't you don't have to have a work plan that is three pages long. (laughs) It's okay to do one or two things this year extremely well that will move the business and and help our customers and, and make us proud.
1: I think it's finding leaders who know how to similarly prioritize. I think having a leadership team where you set the tone and direction. And one of the things that I'm stressing to my team in 2023 is we should be able to fit everything that we're trying to do on one page. It's actually kind of ironic. I rewind back to the very beginning of my career. Actually, the current CEO of Ford Motor Company, Jim Farley, was leading the marketing organization at the time. And one of the things that he stressed to us is if we can't fit it on one page, it's too much. And so when we talk about all our marketing activities that we want for the year, I really think about, OK, if we can't fit it on one page, then it's really not supposed to happen or it's not important enough. And ultimately, to me, that's really helped us as a marketing organization prioritize. I've also said that, you know, if we go around to everybody on the team, they should be able to describe what our, our priorities and goals are for the year.
0: I come from a culture, P&G, where everything had to be on one page, every recommendation, every summary, every damn thing. And I mean, it does give you discipline. It makes you focus. But uh, I, I remember many people cheated by expanding the margins. So, so the, yes, page, yes. the page had no yes. space at the top, no space at yes. the side. So anyway,
1: the page becomes legal size. That's and right. Yes. Yeah.
0: <laughs> so listen, I want to go back to the. Uh, the great resignation and how you kept your team intact uh, as the, as what you're so proud of over the last year. I know you took your team to Disneyland. That's probably part of it, but what, <laughs> what kinds of things did you do or how did you just accomplish that?
1: I think it's really having a pulse on the way people feel and trying to think one or two steps ahead of them. And I mean that in the nicest way possible. Um, you know, I think that with, The younger generation, and I'm not trying to stereotype here, there's always this intellectual curiosity to just, you know, slightly look on LinkedIn to see what's available. Um, There's always a desire to want to know, like, is the grass greener on the other side? And I think checking in frequently and openly is really, really important. Um, Really making sure that you create the time no matter what time in the day, no matter how many meetings you have to make sure that the team feels like they can be accessible to you. And, you know, one of the things that I'm doing at the end of of this year is I told everybody that I want to have a a 30 to 60 minute meeting with them outside of our typical one on one cycle to just focus on them. I just want to hear what went well in 2022. What would you like to work on in 2023? How can I unlock some of those things? How can I be a better leader? um, And ultimately, what what does success look like for you? Um, I think it's really, really important to allow individuals to define what we may or may not be bringing in this organization. And ultimately, you know, I'm I'm a realist. I understand that not everybody's going to spend their life at El Pollo Loco. Certainly, that's an aspirational goal, but it's not realistic. So, my job as their leader is to try to get them to be the best version of their self here. And ultimately, if it's not here, then make them better at their next place.
0: Yeah, that's the right philosophy. Hey, you you were promoted in place about a year ago, which sometimes is not easy. I mean you were the head of digital I think a year mm-hmm. ago you were promoted to CMO so talk a bit about that transition and then also how you evolved this year as a leader you talk about your focus you've gotten better mm-hmm. at that and reflection maybe that's it
1: as I was making the transition obviously there are a lot of people in the marketing organization today who are my peers and so that was probably the the biggest most difficult change for me is going from a peer to being um uh, you know a manager Uh, for some of those individuals and for me it was really about doing a lot of listening at the beginning really hearing what they liked about um, the the previous leadership style where there were opportunities Um, and ultimately i i really wanted people to feel kind of that sense of their contribution Uh, one of the things that i am very big on is i really like to make sure that if you're a, a senior leader or a vp that you have the decision Um, very few times in my, in my last year, will I say I went against, um, a VP's recommendation. They're in their role. They're supposed to be that expert. And I think for me, that, that biggest change was really empowering them to feel like they had that decision-making because I don't necessarily know if they felt like they had that decision-making ultimately previously. And to me, that was one of the biggest pieces of the change in the transition that I would say, I wanted them to know right away that that's, that was my philosophy, the second piece is, is really surrounding myself with people who I admire and respect in the space. So I became a little bit more involved in a couple of other CMO networks. Um, so Forbes, um, I'm very uh, active and involved with Adweek and really um, you know, attract to some of these people who I've kind of watched and respected throughout the course of my career and really just ask them for 30 minutes, whether that be via LinkedIn or via friend of a friend, Um, But I've really just tried to to learn and listen and really just try to figure out how you kind of chart your course of direction during different stages of that first year of onboarding as a CMO.
0: We've all been there. You spend millions of dollars each year driving traffic to your company's website, and then the results come in and they're just not what you hoped. On top of that, 81% of marketing leaders say website ownership is a challenge. So what do you do? Well, you switch to Webflow. Let me tell you why. Webflow's visual first platform empowers your team to own your company's most valuable dynamic marketing asset, your website. From launching a new site to optimizing for SEO and conversions, Webflow gives you the tools you need to drive business growth fast. Unlock your website's full potential when you build, manage, and host with Webflow. Get started today at webflow.com. What would you say is the key to success for today's CMO? If you said data, you wouldn't be the only one. At Deloitte, however, we believe data is only half of the equation. The other half, story. Because data is the language of business, but story is the language of humans. And we believe the most successful CMOs know how to harness the power of both data and story. To learn more about Deloitte's CMO program and how we can help today's CMOs succeed, visit cmo.deloitte.com. You worked at McDonald's before Apoyo Loco for about six years, and that's kind of the P&G of quick serve restaurants, right? Yes. Uh, And now you're leading marketing and branding for a much smaller organization and sort of a challenger Mm -hmm. of sorts. Yes. So speak a little bit about how your approach to marketing in your current role is different or similar to McDonald's.
1: McDonald's was an incredible organization. They have some of the best marketers in the world there, and they really teach you um, to function in the highest of highs and the lowest of lows. Uh, the dynamics that you work with, with some of the most incredible owner operators and franchisees in the world um, really teaches you about small business. Um, and I would I would say that um, McDonald's really set the stage for me in terms of recognizing that I could accomplish a lot of different things in my life because of all the different elements and tools that they provide to you there. What's fascinating is you go from McDonald's to an El Pollo Loco. Um, Obviously, the resources are much greater at McDonald's, but at El Pollo Loco, I mean, you have to do a lot of the similar things. There's very few things that I would say are different. I mean, there's sometimes I would say McDonald's might do a celebrity partnership that we can't simply afford to do. But for the most part, I mean, we have a loyalty program, we do TV, we do radio, we do out at home, a lot of the th- same types of marketing function. You, you learn product development. You, we create products here, too. Um, you, you do it both places. But I would just say, you know, obviously that the scale of McDonald's is very different. They have a very established brand. Um, they're obviously the leader in the space and everybody's kind of coming after them. But I really like um, the challenger and underdog uh, challenge. I really think that it's really fun not to necessarily be number one because it allows you to kind of learn from some of those best players and really just try to adapt and model your, your business after some of those great things that they do. And then you kind of take what you know, um, what you learn there, and you try to impress it upon um, El Pollo Loco here.
0: So what did you learn specifically at McDonald's that has helped you most in this role?
1: Patience. Hmm. Um, I think patience is is key. I think um, there's lots of times where um, the business is changing, the economy is changing. Um, you really have to try to think one or two steps ahead of the game to really understand what the consumer will want, um, ultimately what will work from a financial perspective. And we live in a world that is just changing so rapidly. So I think sometimes, you know, you want to say, oh, this is the best product to put in place at this price point. But Sometimes it's not just that knee-jerk reaction. It's really just trying to take a step back and seeing what's the competitive set doing? How is this going to impact my business today? And what does it look like tomorrow or a year ahead?
0: Let's talk about differentiation. Obviously, it's a pillar of great branding. It's tough in any category. I think it's especially tough in yours because mm-hmm. you know, the com- the competitive set is sort of almost infinite, right? It's the pizzeria right. down the street and it's the big chains. So how do you think about that? How much do you talk about that with your team? How do you zero in on where you want to be different? How do you reinforce that? How do you measure it? How do you build it?
1: One of the things that's really important in kind of the new, call it two to three year strategic plan that we established as a leadership team was focusing on this notion of owning our lane. Um, You know, there's obviously a lot of noise in the space, like you mentioned. Uh, A lot of people do it extremely well. But I think what's unique to El Pollo Loco is the fact that we serve fire grilled chicken. It's a 55 minute cook process and nobody else in the space does it like we do. We provide a lot of TLC to our products. Um, We do handmade guacamole, handmade salsas, um, you know, a lot of things that many of of the competitors, you know, sometimes take out of a freezer. We have fresh. Um, and that's just something that I think I impress upon my team is sometimes, you know, we like some of the ways different competitors go to market with some of their social activations or different types of big brand partnerships. But what's cool and distinct about us is we have something that consumers want and we know they'll love, which is food. And if we do the food right, the rest is going to have to follow. And that's kind of our job to draw people into the restaurants and make sure that we we blow out their customer experience, that our our team members just take Incredible care of them, and that same quality of food is delivered on on a regular basis. You
0: know, that's another theme, in, on this show, is so many CMOs, when I ask this question, talk go right to the product, which is I think fantastic. You know, marketing you. and product, marketing and product development, marketing and R and D just need to be hand in hand, working together, have the same goal, the same vision, and when that happens, and there's tremendous respect and investment in product for marketing, and there's respect for the marketing function from R&D, good things happen. Definitely. I know your core customer group has been families, right? And you're expanding beyond that to reach younger people. Easier said than done. (laughs) So what's been your learning to keep your core customer group, and I know you have some real loyalists, keep them happy, keep them coming back, keep them thinking this is for them, while you change things to attract a broader audience?
1: I think part of that is just the positioning and whether that be via uh, the way we go to market on TV versus the way we go to market on TikTok or Instagram or Facebook. The way that we talk to those consumers are going to be very different. TV still has um, great appeal because it's broad messaging. Uh, it allows us to be on things like, you know, the L.A. Dodgers, reality TV, et cetera. Um, but there's something special and unique about kind of these new mediums that have come to emerge. Uh, if you're a brand and you haven't invested uh, in TikTok or know the ins and outs of that medium. Um, I just think that it's something that every marketer has to know as they they grow up in today's world. There might be another TikTok that comes about in three to five years. But I think one of the biggest learnings we have about attracting the new customer is that it, when you have a good idea or you have a product that really works, I mean, it can spread like wildfire on TikTok. One of the examples that I like to use is we had a product come out in March called Shredded Beef Birria. Uh, we had a pre-sale of it to our, our loyalty members. It did about 1% of sales uh, before the official product launch. And day one of the product launch, it started getting picked up on TikTok and it went up from 1% to 8% of our overall sales mix. And this was just TikTok. We hadn't even started a traditional, traditional media campaign yet. And so we know that there is a lot of validity to that platform if you do it the right way and you you speak authentically on that channel and for us you know that's really been how we've tried to attract the aspirational customer we've we've definitely still stayed true to tv and the other mediums that we communicate in but tiktok has really kind of been our 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 special moment this year
0: how do you make sure that you are Fresh, relevant, exciting, interesting, funny on TikTok. What have you had to do in your culture, if anything, to be sure that you kind of shifted how you think about content?
1: I think having great leaders and I also think having great agency partners. Um, So both within my organization and the agency partners that we work with are paramount to the success. Um, I'm very fortunate to have brought in a really incredible a social media director about three years ago. Um, and then also I just brought in a, a new VP of digital about four months ago from Pepsi. And so um, I have two extremely talented individuals who um, just know that space extremely well, and they're able to leverage it and write great briefs for our agencies. Um, and then we partnered within a uh, influencer agency called Influential that has been uh, paramount in some of our success on TikTok.
0: I want to go back to talking about you as a leader, because as I did my homework on you, you do have some pretty powerful principles and I'll just rattle off a bunch and then we'll go from there. Look broadly for inspiration inside and outside the company. Be agile, be in step with your consumers, understand your role and culture. We're just talking about that with TikTok. Celebrate your team. You know, you famously took them to Disneyland. You do many things which you talked about earlier in the show about staying close to them. Be constantly improving yourself. You got an executive MBA on top of a really, really challenging career. So I'd like you to talk about these principles or others and which ones define you most as a leader.
1: I think let's, let's start with a different one because it's, it's one of my philosophies and it's something that I really think is important that every leader needs to remember both during, um, the good times and the tough times is that I bring the weather, um, I bring the weather is something that I learned very early on in my career at Ford. And one of my one of my best bosses taught me about this whole notion of the way you show up to work is can set the tone for the day, can set the tone for the week can set the tone for the month or set the tone for the quarter or for the year. And so ultimately, I, I recognize that there are many times where the teams put well beyond eight hours in the day. And I know that there's probably things that are going on at home that might affect their attitude, but my job as they come into the walls of El Pollo Loco is to try to make this the best environment for them to work, to get them excited to tell their friends and family to be brand advocates. Same thing goes for our agency partners. Same thing goes for anybody else who's attached to our brand. And so to me, it's very important that everybody who works on our account at the agency knows that they have my phone number, they have my email address. I don't care what their role is. If they're working on their account, they have the ability to come talk to me. And I want everybody to know who's working with us that they're appreciated. That's probably, I would say, the first principle. Um, The intellectual curiosity, always bettering yourself. I mean, this is just something that I feel like to stay fresh, to stay modern in today's environment, you just have to uh, attach yourself to uh, good podcasts, good books, uh, real industry leaders to try to understand, you know, what's working, what's not working, where have they swung big and made a mistake? What are some things to look out for? Uh, I think that there's so many great avenues to get information nowadays. It's just a couple of keystrokes away on this incredible search engine called Google. Um, and I'd, I'd say lastly, just really, really having a a, a pulse on, on culture, because I think things are changing so rapidly. Um, you know, I would say that one of the things I, I, quite frankly, wasn't very familiar with when I came into this role was TikTok. I had really good people around me who knew how to do it. And so I had to really fight hard to really understand, okay, what's a TikTok trend? What what is authenticity mean on that platform? How am I going to explain to my board that we're going to be spending a substantial amount of money on TikTok versus what you know they're used to traditional TV? How do I justify those things? How do I have measurements in place to make sure that things are working? And so Again, I I feel very, very fortunate to be in the situation I'm in. Um, It has come as as a result of of really good leaders who have helped make a better me and great teammates and great um, experiences I've had throughout the course of my career.
0: Yeah. I love this thought, I bring the weather as your lead off principle. What's your advice to other CMOs to bring the weather? What sorts of things do you do? to bring the weather, which I'm sure you want to be sunny in 72 and you are in Southern California. So it makes it maybe a little
1: bit easier. <laughs> yes. Um, you know, there's another principle I'm going to bring up from grad school that I, I really like. And it was from one of my professors, uh, Harry Kramer, uh, who was one of our, our final yeah, professors I know Harry. In, at Kellogg. He's, he's incredible. And one of, the, one of the things he told us to ask is, you ask, how are you doing? But then you ask, how are you really doing? And to me, like if you start off with that tone, it kind of breaks down the walls a little bit of, okay, I'm not going to be I'm really not going to be judged based off of if I give an honest and transparent answer in this situation, because what I've done is I've set the tone as the leader to say, you know what, I really want to know how you're feeling. It's not just a hey, I'm good or hey, I'm busy how are you really doing just by adding emphasis on that one word really makes the difference in the way that people will give you feedback and ways that we can be better as as individuals or better as as a team the other piece i'd say is you know it's it's always a a very high high pressure high stress environment i think sometimes for cmo's especially publicly traded companies you know constantly trying to make the numbers every single quarter Um, You know, always being in check with making sure, you know, the board is stayed abreast of the plans of the changes and everything. And I think that you really have to figure out an outlet for um, how you're going to um, show up after situations like that, because I think that, you know, certainly there's an element of you want to make the board happy. You want to make your boss happy. You want to make shareholders happy. But I think ultimately the, the individuals responsible for that success is everybody who is part of my team and my partners in, in our agencies. And so it's really just making sure as things go crazy and, you know, you're not the best version of yourself because you're tired, you're exhausted, you have to figure out how to reset and show the best version of yourself for everybody else.
0: Andy, you've talked about your agencies a couple times already in this recording. So could you go there a bit for us? Obviously, this area of what do I do inside the company? What capabilities do I build inside versus outside? How do you think about that? And why do you value your external partners as much as you obviously do?
1: I think because they are constantly challenging us to be better. I think one of the things that's been very, very um, challenging to see in the great resignation is you've seen a, a healthy amount of turnover in the agency ranks. I think that that's probably one of the biggest impacts. One of the things I've noticed throughout my career is lots of times you see people get their bump in pay or their bump in title as a result of going from agency to another agency. And, you know, one of the things that I really impress upon my team is we're going to have some really good agency people come into our account. And one of the ways I know that we've succeeded is is if they get that opportunity to get promoted or move on to another account. And so it's been a really interesting last two or three years. And I use that term very ambiguously because, you know, we've had a lot of really good agency people get promoted and move on. And one of my things that I've shared with our senior account leadership from all the agencies that we work with is I would be doing a bad job as a leader if I said, no, I want to keep that individual on the account. As much as I'd love that person to stay with us forever, um, that's poor leadership. And so, you know, obviously trying to figure out how um, agency partners can have a strong bench, how when I find that I have a good agency partner I'm working with, who that junior person is how we can give them that opportunity to step up and grow and speak up at meetings so they can feel that empowerment and they can be ready and next up for that promotion. Now in, in my role as, as CMO is I've just wanted to make sure as I try to create a bench internally, I know externally too that, you know, we're constantly trying to develop talent and, you know, we regularly have talent meetings with my, my three different or four different agencies that I work with, um, just ensuring that there's a business continuity it's a
0: great lesson you just went. One of the things that I spent too much time on as CMO at P&G was senior leaders at p who did not want their people to move off their account when the agency management thought it was time for them to move. And I had to intercede in so many of them to say, you have to trust the agency management to do the best thing for their organization and ultimately for us. Mm-hmm. So trust them when they want to make a move because they know these people better than you do. And and we need to help them build teams just as we build teams. Absolutely. So let's switch to your career path. It's uh, it's quite a good one. And I I found a lot online about this book that you read in Tel Aviv and its impact on you. And you discovered the book while you were doing your executive MBA at Kellogg Northwestern. So could you tell us a bit about that, how you discovered that book? What is it when you read it that had such an impact and how? it has continued to affect how you lead.
1: So uh, I discovered that book. I was in a class by a professor. His, his name is Carter Cast. Uh, incredible, incredible leader. Um, I actually snuck into his uh, class. So sorry, Professor Cast and <laughs> sorry, Northwestern. Uh, he allowed me to take the class even though I was out of electives. Um, so it's actually a really cool story. But that was one of the, the books that he recommended uh, throughout the course of the class. And
0: what was the class?
1: Uh, it was kind of called the uh, the success and failures of careers. Uh, oh. It was one of those situations where he kind of reviewed where um, different derailers and careers happen. And it, it really uh, associated different archetypes to individuals throughout their kind of career journey. And so it was really interesting to be able to take a class like that, as I kind of felt like I was at in a transition point in my career, both him and the previous dean of, of Kellogg, Sally Blount. Um, I took two incredible classes that really gave me the, the confidence and courage to know that I was ready for, for something new and a different change and ultimately a move back to LA. I started reading this book and recognized, oh my God, like I'm not a great reader. Um, I get tired very easily when I read books. It's just, it's me. I'm just, I like to do a lot, learn a lot, et cetera. Um, but this book, I just couldn't put down. And I just found myself continually um, highlighting, scribbling notes and just continuing to want to do more do better and i was like i was like oh my god it's three in the morning in tel aviv and i still found myself reading this book and writing notes and um you know it's really about making sure that you hold yourself accountable to the exercises in the in books like that i think ultimately um it's it's my own accountability to make sure that i hold myself to that standard that the book is asking me to do you know over the course of the six weeks i was there I built these different five-year roadmaps and, you know, some of these pictures are available online. And, uh, you know, one is like, what happens if you just stay the course? What happens if you decide to like accelerate and think, oh my God, you can really accomplish a lot of different things. And one is like, just go crazy and just completely, um, throw out everything you've done so far. And what would your career be and why? Um, I, I did those three different paths and it relates to health, it relates to travel, it, re, it relates to like religion and family, um, and it also relates to um, career. Uh, those journeys and exercises kind of really helped shape what I was looking for next in my life and my journey. And um, it was incredible. It was absolutely amazing to do that.
0: We'll put a link to that book in the show notes. And uh, it's called Defining Your Life, right? Yeah, Designing Your Life. Designing Your Life. This goes back a couple of years. How do you keep your focus on that plan that you sketched out and said, oh, I'm going to follow this. I'm going to go back to L.A. and do something different?
1: I think it's really about having accountability partners. Um, I have a personal board of directors, which are three of my best friends and also a few other people from grad school that I constantly check in with and really help hold me accountable to make sure that I'm living the values that I, I want to uphold. And, you know, they they're great about making sure that if I if I say I want to do something, I try to accomplish it. Uh, sometimes it's a little bit far fetched and a little bit crazy and out there, but um, they are sometimes the ones who who bring me in uh, both a personal board of directors and then also um, mentors and previous bosses who I've had throughout my career are really good about doing that. So some of the elements like the travel piece, obviously, I designed that and then, you know, call it six or seven months later, we had this. This covid pandemic and it certainly um, slowed down what was my travel bug at the time um, but i was still able right before covid to get a trip into ecuador and brazil so that was part of the things that was kind of on my five-year plan and path um, everything from moving to la which i was able to do um, i bought a house for the first time i was a serial renter as i was being moved all around the united states for corporate America. Um, so it's really about just continuously checking in with yourself, making sure you're learning, making sure you're happy with where you're at in life and in your career. And um, yeah, I mean, just, just always asking for feedback uh, is is very important. Feedback's a gift.
0: You've worked for two American icons, McDonald's and Ford, and we talked about McDonald's already. Ford was earlier in your career. What was the major lesson that you took from your time at Ford that you carry forward to this day?
1: Wow. One is dedication. One of the beautiful things about Ford Motor Company is there are so many people who are lifers who work there. And um, I saw people who were there for 15, 20, 25, 30 years, and they are so passionate about that blue oval that you see so many times on the road. Um, It kind of still like I'll look at a Ford vehicle and I'll see the blue oval and I'll get chills um, because I think about the people who I work with at Ford and all the decisions that were a part of kind of. Everything that came to be that you know call it thirty thousand to eighty thousand dollar product, the dedication piece to me is is the one piece that i i I like, but i also I'm also very cognizant of relative to the the workforce and the environment of today because you know the lifespan of c m o s is a lot shorter and shorter than it's ever been um patience is is not what it used to be there's obviously. Uh, shareholder responsibility that companies are are very, very attuned with. And so, you know, one of the things that I learned at Ford is just like you have to be you have to be willing to understand when it's when it's your time and when you have to move. I think that's just something that's so different in today's career workforce environment. Um, But again, it's this whole notion of dedication. And I think the same thing goes for uh, a lot of the people who I met at McDonald's, too, is just you see people who just are so passionate and wear the brand on their sleeve. And that's one of the things that's so beautiful about working for brands. Brands are powerful. Brands should be part of kind of what gets you up and excited every morning. And the dedication that people bring, you think how much time and energy you spend away from your family to be part of a, a brand.
0: Power of the brand, right? Yes. For external reasons and for internal reasons. We, yes, we sometimes Sometimes we don't talk about that enough, actually. So let's switch to the creative brief. What's the first brand, Andy, that you remember making an impact on you?
1: Well, first brand probably would be, and it's a sports team, it's the LA Dodgers, who I was like the five-year-old calling into Dodger talk. Uh, my dad <laughs> uh, allowed me to pick up the phone and ask if Mike Piazza was going to make the all-star team. Um, but I would I would say the first brand that pretty, probably- pr- Pretty
0: sophisticated question for a
1: five-year-old. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> I know, right? Um Probably the first brand that I I think of and I tell this story uh, sometimes just in terms of entrepreneurship is probably the brand tie Beanie Babies, Um, because for me as uh, like an early teen, 12, 13 years old, I saw the power of brand and the power of scarcity with being able to sell something um, that was so scarce from a resource perspective for a substantial premium And sure, I had the opportunity to do, you know, your your normal lemonade stand as a kid. Um, But that showed me the power of a brand. And so um, selling the the Thai Beanie Baby to the cart in the mall for $250, that was like my aha moment, like, oh, my God, I can sell stuff on eBay. Um, That got me really excited about branding and marketing and being entrepreneurial. And so that's kind of like the first moment in my life that I remember where I'm like, okay, this is super cool. I need to figure out how I can buy more Beanie Babies and sell more of these things.
0: I was just decorating our house for Christmas with my daughter and we brought out a bunch of the holiday (laughs) Beanie Babies, which we've had for a long time and we'll never separate with them.
1: Yeah, it's so funny. It's so funny. Such an incredible fad and it definitely took the nation by storm.
0: What's the most meaningful initiative or campaign of your career to date?
1: You know, When I think about Throughout the course of, of everything that I've had the ability to see and be a part of, um, you know, probably one of the biggest things that I, I've loved to see is really just a change in trajectory of the way that consumers consume products. And I think to probably two or three different milestones. Number one, um, you know, Ford Motor Company was a very big gas company, but being able to be a part of the team that helped launch that first hybrid product, uh, that was super cool. Um, being able to see just the the industry change and see a F-150 now have an EcoBoost engine that was obviously very economically or environmentally um, sound. That was huge. Um, being able to be a part of the team that helped launch McDonald's delivery. So really changing the way that products were accessible to uh, consumers. Um, that was super cool. Um, And then, you know, at El Pollo Loco, there was an opportunity for us to be the first restaurant chain in the United States to pilot drone delivery. And so for me, that was a fundamental change in the way consumers could experience the product. And so I look at those three different pieces of my career where you have established brands, established companies, and they pivot and they go in a slightly different Mm -hmm. direction. So you have a small part
0: in why I bought the
1: Mustang Mach 3 EUV. (laughs) Yes, yes.
0: Which, by the way, I love.
1: Oh, that's awesome to hear.
0: And the marketing of it, I think, was terrific. My son sent me a video when it was first introduced and said, hey, dad, you got to look at this. And I got on the waiting list. Took about a year. (laughs) It's a fabulous car. What has tennis taught you
1: about leadership? Uh, Tennis has taught me that... um, your, your brain and your, your mind is, is kind of one of your, your biggest assets and you have to understand how to navigate it correctly. It's like working a muscle. It's a gym. Um, actually really good book. I, I, I read growing up was called mind gym. But, um, one of the things that I would say is that tennis is very strategic and it's one of those elements where you sometimes have to think one or two steps ahead. And I, I say that similarly with, with business and with the mind, um, you have to think one or two steps ahead of time, whether that be um, how employees are feeling, how the competitors are going to respond to you, what happens in the sense of a uh, ups or downs in the economy. And so I correlate tennis, mind, strategy back to career.
0: So you grew up in L.A. and then you went to school in Madison, Wisconsin. So yes. that's a climate and a culture change to the max. So tell us... <laughs> What did you learn in that shift, or how did you know, how did you manage that shift? That's one cold place. I've been up there in the winter. It's cold.
1: It's cold. It's very cold. Um, I definitely learned the uh, the beauty of seasons. I learned that my light jacket was no longer going to work. I had to wear layers. That was probably the biggest change. Um, but I think there's just this this really special element of going to school in the Midwest. I mean, Madison is an incredible college town. Uh, I live with the same guy for four years uh, in Madison and we met randomly. And so I just feel like there's this this humbleness, this drive, there's this just beautiful persona of individuals who come from the Midwest that is unlike any other place in the world. And I I, I felt like it was a great opportunity for me to just kind of get out of what was Los Angeles and really experience a different culture. I mean, who doesn't like cheese and beer? But, uh, you know, it was a great, great opportunity for me to combine uh, great academics, great athletics, a great social scene. um, And I wouldn't have changed a single thing. It was one of the best experiences of my life. I was able to convince one other family member, my younger sister, to go there. Uh, We're a Big Ten family. All my siblings went to Big Ten school. So it's uh, pretty cool that I set that trend.
0: Well, I met my wife at Penn State and my son and daughter-in-law went to Ohio State. So we're also got a big, strong foot in the Big Ten. My wife went to UCLA undergraduate and my, and my daughter went to UCLA. So we're, we're Pac-12 Big Ten people.
1: Yeah, but, you know, UCLA's coming at the Big Ten now. So you're going to be a full Big Ten know, makes family. Makes it simpler. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So
0: you talked about intellectual curiosity a little while ago. Tell us what podcasts, what blogs, what books, what series that you're watching listening to reading right now that are interesting for you
1: so i'm going to put in a plug for your podcast i love the cmo podcast and again it was always a dream of mine uh, to be on this so i'm so humbled that your producer called and we're just so lucky to be a part of this so i really feel like you have uh, exceptional leaders on this podcast Uh, they really challenge the norm they challenge the traditional thinking uh they're humble um, they're high impact, low ego, and that's mm-hmm. something that really uh, sets them apart. Um, second one is I, I love CMO Moves. I think that's a really great podcast by Adweek. I know it might be a yeah. little bit of a competitor to yours. No, no, I think they're but great. Nonetheless, and I, t- uh, I talked to them before
0: I started this podcast about what they learned in doing it.
1: I love that. Yeah, I love so, that. I think so, that's incredible. Um, and I and I really actually like Masterclass too. I think that there's a lot of really good information that you can glean from that. I don't think it's just names. I think that there's really, um, really cool tools and skill sets you can learn as a result of masterclass. And you can consume it in, in snippets too, which I like. I love sometimes if something is like six to 11 minutes long, you can really power through it quickly and get what you're looking to get. I think I talked about this a little bit earlier, but just the power of networking too is a great area to learn in. So, I mean, Ad Adweek, Brand Innovators, uh, Forbes CMO. There's a lot of really great channels for marketers to meet throughout the United States. And um, I've been very fortunate to meet just so many of my closest friends through that medium and a lot of my, um, my mentors now. Who
0: has been your most consequential mentor to date in your career?
1: That's a good question. Um, I would say that there's been, there's been several. Um, I don't, I don't want to name uh, just one person because I think that that wouldn't be be fair, nor would it be a reflection of how I I go about my life, because I really like to take inputs from multiple individuals, because I don't think there's one person who knows everything. Um, A couple of of ones that I just want to mention, one specifically Neil Golden. Um, He was the uh, CMO of McDonald's USA, and he met me randomly at Essence Music Festival in 2009. And um, somehow um, I was lucky enough to become his mentee. Um, we, we chatted about a Ford vehicle for about 45 minutes. And uh, when I asked him what he did, he said he was the uh, CMO of McDonald's. And I said, no way. We maintained a relationship and have kept a friendship. And uh, he's just someone who I I talk to regularly and has helped shape my career and given great advice and ask great questions. Uh, Musa Tarek was paired with me during Ad Week about three years ago, uh, CMO of GoFundMe. Mm-hmm. Again, just somebody who gives so, so much time uh, to me and uh, is really just generous human being and just goes above and beyond for everybody. And I, I can go on and on. Yeah. Uh, previous bosses, Julia Vanderflug, Greg Watson. Um, I've, I've had incredible mentors throughout my career, and I'm, I'm very, very lucky.
0: Musa has been a guest on the show, and he, it's a wonderful episode. So I encourage the listeners to go back in the archives and listen. It's a, he's, he's a wonderful human being and a great leader.
1: I completely agree.
0: Who's been the most inspiring person in your life?
1: Uh most inspiring person I'd say is my dad. Um it's funny because my dad is a doctor and so I'm actually the only uh sibling or only child uh who did not go into the medical field. And so it might be a little bit strange for me to say that because my brother's a doctor and my two sisters are occupational therapists, but just the way that I saw my dad um orate very young like he's an incredible speaker. Um the way that he always took the time to right to whether it be like a hotel staff member or somebody on his team when somebody did a good job. I just felt like that was like a really good learning lesson for me to always go above and beyond for the people who make a difference in your life. You know, I love to have individual relationships with people. So like there's a restaurant I frequent called Urban Plates and I like know all the staff members names and like they know my name, they know my order. And I just, I love that ability to have that human interaction with people. And I I saw that with my dad very early on, and I just think it's something really special. There are just so many lessons that he's taught me just in terms of being humble. um, Always try to bring your best self every day. We share our love of sports. Huge Dodger fans. Never miss a Dodger game. And uh, without a doubt, probably most impactful. Um, Just admire his work ethic and how he's provided for his family.
0: Well, Andy, it's about lunchtime, and I'm really, really hungry. So what should I order today at Empoya Loco?
1: How about a double chicken tostada salad? It's our most popular menu item. Uh, It comes with uh, chopped chicken, rice, beans, lettuce, uh, avocado, sour cream, uh, Mm -hmm. cheese. It's very good. Highly recommend it. If not that, Jim, we're in uh, quesadilla season. We have an overstuffed quesadilla that is remarkable. So depends on what, pick your poison. They're both delicious. What's your go-to item? Um, I would say the double chicken tostada salad or the keto burrito. I love the keto burrito. It's amazing. It allows me to eat all the delicious, yummy ingredients and feel like I'm, I'm being healthy.
0: Well, Andy, thank you for this. I think someday we should play tennis and go have some fire grilled chicken at your restaurant. How's that sound?
1: I love that. I will be in San Diego uh, sooner than you know it. Super. Thanks, Andy. All the best. Thank you so much. That was my conversation with Andy Rebhon.
0: Three takeaways from this one for your business brand and life. First one, I bring the weather. I love that quote. When Andy talked about what leadership principle guides him, the first thing he said was, I bring the weather. And what's he mean by that? He tries to set the tone for his team and for the company by creating the kind of culture that people want to be a part of and where they can work through their full potential. Big question for all the leaders listening, are you bringing the weather? Second takeaway, intellectual curiosity. We hear that a lot in this show. This guy really lives it. He seeks out mentors. He seeks out mentees. He travels a lot to be stimulated. He listens to podcasts and blogs that stretch his imagination. He really, really actively looks to keep improving his curiosity, his creativity. Third takeaway, focus, focus, focus. Fewer things better is one of the power lessons that Andy has learned in his career. His boss, at Opoyoloco Loco, reinforces this. Focus, do fewer things better, invest behind fewer things. We all are distracted by a lot of stuff in marketing these days. Think about, are you focusing on the stuff that matters? That's it for this episode of the CMO Podcast. If you found this helpful and entertaining, I would be so grateful if you could share our show with your friends. And I would be super happy if you subscribed so you can be updated as we publish new episodes. And if you really want to help, Leave us a five-star rating and a positive review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. The CMO Podcast is a Gallery Media Group original production.